we're going to have to come to a halt a little bit early today um, because we'll have the children joining us to sing and process in with palms um, this morning, this Palm Sunday. So we'll get started to use the time well that we have. Let me, um, let me open us in prayer. Um, Father, we're grateful for this Lord's Day, thankful for this day, um, uh, one in seven, that you've set apart um, the first day of the week for us um, to gather as your people, um, to be gathered together by your Spirit, um, to be with you um, as you draw near to us and renew the covenant that you've established with us in your Son. Uh, Father, this Palm Sunday, we thank you for um, your Son's, uh, particularly for his, um, his passion, for his suffering, um, for his giving up himself to death um, for us and for our sake, for the forgiveness of our sin. And Father, we pray that you would bless um, us um, today as we meditate on these things. We pray that you would bless us this week as we prepare um, for Easter um, by remembering, reflect upon, giving thanks for the death of Christ. We pray you be with us now as we begin to study um, this uh, first epistle of the Apostle John, that your spirit would dwell with us and bless us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you all today as we begin um, a new um, series in Sunday School, Adult Sunday School this morning. Um, we are uh, looking today, beginning a, a study of the Epistle of 1 John. Um, the goal is going to be um, to do this over the next couple months, and um, we always take off the months of June, July, and August um, for Sunday School um, each summer um, to give everyone a break from um, from that, um, but I'm excited about spending the next two months with you looking at um, the epistle of 1 John. Um, I wanted to start today by um, just thinking for a minute about what it is that we're doing when we study God's Word together, when we read it, when we discuss it. Um, Thomas Gramner wrote this um, prayer that I often use in my own um, before I preach. Um, he was a, a Protestant reformer um, of the Church of England in the 16th century. Around 1549, uh, when the first edition of the Book of Common Prayer was published, um, he composed this prayer um, to be included. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Um, I love that prayer, not only because of um, the way it functions as a petition to God, but the way that it um, functions to give us a real theology of the scriptures um, encapsulated in a paragraph. Um, you'll see that, um, that Cramner begins by thanking the Lord um, for um, making, giving us the scriptures. He's caused the Holy Scriptures to be written um, for our learning, um, for our growth, for our maturation. And then he asks um, for grace, and we need this when we come to the scriptures. Um, we need the grace to hear the word, to read the word, to mark the word, to pay attention to it, um, to attend to it, to learn it, and even to inwardly digest uh, the scriptures themselves. And, and that's a beautiful picture, I think. It, it of course, is um, references in a way, in a symbolic way, um, um, Ezekiel eating the scroll and um, the way in which the Word of God is described as, um, as food for us, um, even in the Psalms and the Proverbs that the Lord feeds us by His Word. 
um, even as um, Jesus uh, quoted from Deuteronomy, um, that man shall not live alone, but by, um, by bread alone, but by um, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, then in some ways, God's word is meant to be for us a kind of meal, a kind of uh, food that gives us nourishment. And so we don't approach it like we would approach um, any other text, really. Um, certainly there are, are similarities um, in the way we'd study literature or, or uh, some other historical text. Um, but we come to the scriptures um, trusting that they are given to us by God um, and that we sit under them, um, that we um, um, don't stand over the scriptures, but we sit under it. And we need um, what it offers to us by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And then Cameron goes on, he says, so that by pa- I want to inwardly digest um, the word, that by patience and the comfort of your holy words, it's meant to give us comfort, uh, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate purpose for the word, is that it is meant to lead us um, into a deeper embrace, a deeper holding fast um, to our Lord Jesus, the one who is uh, revealed in the scriptures, given to us uh, for our salvation, for our life. Um, I, I'm not going to take the time um, to, to read through the Westminster Larger Catechism questions there. Maybe we'll reference them in coming weeks, but they're given there for your um, uh, attention. Um, I, I would say, as I think about um, you know, how, how to, to think about First John, how to jump into this, one of the things that I did this week that um, I think was really helpful um, for me as I began to prepare to teach um, on this epistle is I just read First John over and over again um, from beginning to end um, a number of times. And, and I would just encourage you to do that. I don't know if that's something that you have done before with um, the epistles in the New Testament particularly lend themselves to this. You could also do some of the shorter um, books in the Old Testament. Um, but there's something about sitting down and just reading um, a text from beginning to end, reading a letter from beginning to end, um, with First John, it takes about 15 minutes, and we're actually going to do that this morning um, in a few minutes, and just hear it all together. It's worth remembering that probably for these epistles, many of them would have been experienced by um, their first recipients in just that way. Um, folks would not have had, of course, a copy of the letter themselves, most likely, but um, would have come to church on Sunday, and the pastor, um, local pastor, would have read um, the letter um, that they had received, um, whether that was, you know, because they were the original intended audience, like the church in Corinth when Paul writes Corinthians, or as we know, these letters um, were sent to other churches. There was an understanding that um, what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth was relevant not only for that church, but also for the church in Ephesus or the church in Jerusalem, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the way that folks experienced these epistles largely would have been coming to church and hearing them read out loud um, from beginning to end um, all at once. Um, they're meant to be heard that way and experienced that way. And there's something that, that you just you begin to pick them on themes and patterns and, and, um, and, and general ideas as you hear the word like that in one fell swoop. I think there, sometimes there can be this danger of, you know, just we're just wanting to read a verse at a time or whatever, and that's fine, and we can go deep into particular verses, but, but these letters are meant to be given to us as a whole, and they do something to us, I'm convinced, uh, when we hear them in that way. Um, so we're going to read First John in a few minutes, but, but before we do that, um, I just want to talk a little bit about background. Now, the author of First John is, I believe, John. Um, 
Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time arguing for this. Um, you may know this, that John does not have an, an author given in it. Um, it is, there's no author identified in the text of the letter itself. And so it's different from most New Testament epistles in that way. Um, but um, the early church from a very early time um, has said, um, this is written by John. There's, it's well attested um, um, from the very earliest days of the church. It's never been um, seriously disputed. Um, and one of the reasons for that is, is because of um, the kind of language that you find in 1 John, um, the, the kind of themes, the kind of vocabulary, uh, which, which line up so well with the Gospel of John. And we're going to see that this morning as we think about some of the key words, key themes um, of John's epistle. Um, it, it'd be very hard to imagine that this wasn't written by John, given the similarity um, in the style. Um, another interesting thing about 1 John is, is that it is some of the easiest Greek in the New Testament, some of the most simple um, Greek. And I see James nodding his head there, and, and perhaps like, um, like me, um, um, James also, um, when you go to seminary, at least when I went to seminary, uh, 1 John is the first book that you translate um, in Greek um, uh, because it's short, because the, the, the vocabulary is simple, um, because the, the, the structure of the sentences are, is simple. Um, so that, I think that comes through in the English, actually. I think you can see that. But, um, but that, you know, some are Greek. That's what you do. Um, you, you do a bunch of um, vocabulary and syntax and all of those things. And then the first book often that seminary students are given to translate um, is First John because of its simplicity. And I, I want to argue that I think some of that simplicity is deceptive, that that First John seems simple, but it's actually quite complex. Um, there's, it's very rich. There's a lot going on here. But it is a very different kind of writing style, um, for example, than you see um, in, in Paul's epistles, largely. Um, what's the setting and purpose of First John? Um, uh, First John is known as one of the, the Catholic or general epistles, um, which means that it is written um, originally not um, to, to a specific church, at least a specific church that's named, but it's, it's written um, to the whole church. Now, I think sometimes um, we have to be careful with this. I very much believe that Paul, for example, when he wrote Romans or when he wrote Ephesians, uh, was very conscious of what he was doing. He knew that he was not just writing a um, letter to that specific church for that specific time. Um, he knew that he was writing Holy Scripture. And so, yes, he was address addressing the Ephesians or the Romans or whomever initially, but he very much understood that he was writing um, for the church generally um, um, throughout the world at that time and even throughout the ages to come. Um, certainly the apostles had that understanding. They were not unaware of what they were doing when they were writing the New Testament. Um, but John is certainly a letter um, that is, uh, perhaps it was written initially to one specific community, um, but very clearly it has themes um, that address um, the church at large and even the church today. Um, so what are some of those key themes in 1 John? And we'll see this when we read it in a moment, but I would argue that John is, 1 John is, is largely about who God is and who we are um, in relationship to God. Um, it's a very simple task that John takes on here in that sense. Um, he's again and again going to speak about um, the character of God. He's going to say God is the one um, who possesses eternal life. He's going to say God is light. 
I mean, he's going to argue that God is the one who speaks the truth. He's going to say that God is love. Um, John is, 1 John is also a very Trinitarian document. Um, you'll see that, I think, as we go through it. Um, the Father is mentioned again and again. The Son is mentioned again and again. And even toward the end of the book, um, we have um, a discussion of the Spirit, the Spirit who dwells in us. So it, like the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is very Trinitarian, um, probably the most um, obviously so of all the Gospels. Um, John's epistle is, um, is structured that way. Um, the second part of, of what John is about, I think, is the character of what it means to be a child of God, um, who it is that we are to be if we are in a relationship uh, with this God, if he is our father. Um, this address, little children, is used again and again and again, seven times um, in the epistle of 1 John. The apostle writes to the readers and says, little children, do this, little children, do that. Um, which is an interesting way of addressing people. He's not, of course, speaking there um, only to the, you know, um, the 10-year-olds and under or something um, in the church when he uses that language. He's, he's saying something theologically, right? He's, he's giving them a sense of their identity. Um, and this language actually comes directly from our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus spoke to the, to the apostles um, in the upper room and said to them, little children, he called them that. Um, and it's that kind of address is meant to form who we understand ourselves to be, that we are the children of the living God. Um, we're little children in that sense. Um, John also multiple times refers to his um, readers as beloved. Um, he addresses them in that way. And certainly that's another core identity that he wants um, his readers to understand about who they are. Um, that they're little children who are beloved of God. They are the beloved children of the Father. Um, John wants to know, his readers to know, that they are recipients of eternal life. Um, that's referred to multiple times, that they've received life. Um, he wants them to know that they're called to walk in the light, um, not in the darkness. Um, this, this kind of imagery in John is very prevalent. Light and darkness, truth and lies, love and hatred, life and death. Um, you know, apparently kind of simple concepts in some sense, um, but but rich and complex as you wrestle with them and see them worked out. So he, he wants his readers to know that they're called to walk in the light, that they're called to live in the truth, that they're called to love one another. Um, in particular, they're called to love their brothers, um, that they're called to overcome. Uh, John, First John works differently in terms of its rhetoric than many of uh, Paul's letters. Um, Paul's letters often follow a kind of um, a, a, a kind of um, uh, logic that is very, I think, clear to us many, many times. You know, he'll begin with statements about um, theological truths, about God, about um, justification, about um, redemption, about all these things. And then he will, um, he will turn and towards the latter half of his letters off, often and, and, and make application of those things, right? Um, so, you know, this pattern, I'm sure, is very... Um, uh, you know, familiar to you, you know, the letter to Ephesians, the first three chapters, all these great gospel truths, and then chapters four to six, Paul makes very specific, particular applications, etc., etc. First John doesn't work like that. First um, John is, is not a letter that moves in that kind of uh, way. It is very cyclical. The themes are stated, and then they're stated again, and then they're stated again in a slightly different way, and then again, finally, in a different way. Um, it's, it's Hebraic in that way. It's, it's kind of the logic of the Proverbs. 
Um, it's, a, it's a different kind of style, um, certainly, than Paul. Um, these are some of the key words in 1 John. Um, God, again and again. This is an epistle about God. I think you'll see that as you hear it. Um, this is an epistle about who God is. Um, Jesus, his name is invoked again and again. Um, his title as the Son um, is spoken about again and again. First uh, John feels very intimate in that way. It, it's talking constantly about the Father and the Son. Um, love is a huge word in First John. Um, it's repeated almost 30 times in a very short five-chapter letter. Um, light is a theme, especially in the beginning of First John, that is um, very um, prominent. Uh, life, truth is a, is a theme that comes out again and again in First John. Um, this word abide occurs um, about 17 times in this short letter. Um, John wants us to abide, to have communion with, to dwell with God. That God, he wants God to dwell with us. And he says the way that we know that that's taking place is if we obey the commandments that our Lord Jesus has given us. If we love one another. Um, these are all um, significant key words in John. So I would say just don't be deceived by the apparent simplicity of 1 John. Um, there's a lot going on here, and it's good for us to think about these things. So I'm, I'm just going to read now um, the epistle um, from front to back. It should take about 15 minutes or so. Um, and you can follow along in your Bibles if you want. You can close your eyes and just listen if you want. But, um, but just be thinking about, um, you know, what's going on here? What, what's, the, what's the big picture? What is... What is John really seeking to communicate to us as these words build upon one another? The first letter of John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, or the life everlasting, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him, that is from God, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, that is with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have koinonia with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, that is God, a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He, that is Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep Jesus's commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps Jesus's word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Jesus, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard, that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they, were all, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. 
Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, everlasting life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it, is just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that is, abide in Jesus, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Jesus in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And thus everyone who, I'm sorry, and everyone who thus hopes in Jesus purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, Jesus appeared, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to, was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 
We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God, and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him.
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood, and the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. 
And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal or everlasting life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and everlasting life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, thanks for bearing with me as we spent that time together hearing from first john we've got a few minutes any impressions just not like specific texts that don't make sense but just like you know big picture what are some impressions what stands out just experiencing the word of god like that and this letter in particular yeah jeremy Yes, that really comes through the practicality of this epistle. Yeah, John is not satisfied with abstractions. Gethina. It does. Right. Yes. Yes, I agree. It has a lot with, to do with James. And that's interesting. Part of what I would argue, that similarity, I think that James and John, First John, both have this in common. I believe that James was written by John's brother, James, son of Zebedee. Um, and if that's the case, they were both apostles of our Lord. And so both were first 
hand witnesses to the Lord's teaching. And I, I believe that James and John of all the New Testament epistles, this is an interesting way to think about these letters, are essentially the teaching of Jesus given, like reinterpreted and respoken in their own words. Um, we'll look at this maybe two weeks from now when we meet again, but, but there are so many parallels between Jesus's upper room discourse, his direct teaching to the apostles and the words of 1 John. Same language, same theme, same words. And James is very much, you think about the teaching of Jesus in his parables or on the Sermon on the Mount. There's so much parallel between, um, particularly um, as Jesus speaks in Matthew and what's given to us in the Apostle James um, in depth. It's, it's almost like we're hearing the words of Jesus mediated through these apostles, it's, which is very different from Paul, right? Paul was not walking around with Jesus, hearing the parables, hearing, you know, um, it's a different thing, and Paul does something different for us. I think we really get, in many ways, the direct teaching of Jesus um, through these two letters. Was there another hand, James? Um, the word that comes to my mind is empowering. Like this, mm -hmm. And this is really yeah. what struck me also when you read a large portion of Hebrews through. Right. God is greater than your heart. Yep. God is greater than your heart. He's seemingly greater than you in the world. Um, the, the word that I'm writing to you, young men, who have overcome the evil one. There's just like a lot of language of um, victory. And yes. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right, James. Yeah, this, it has, especially as it piles up on, 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 on itself, um, yeah, message of, of empowerment in the spirit, abiding in Christ and being born of God, that this is, it's a beautiful vision for the Christian life that we read here. And it's one that's meant to be um, available to us and imparted to us. I think that's right. I'm really grateful for that. You about ready, Naomi? Great. Give me one sec and I'll be... I'll pray and we'll, we'll wrap up. Um, I would just say, um, in conclusion, um, look, what we just did, I think, is a powerful thing. It's, it's wonderful to do it um, all together um, in the same room, hearing God's word. But this is something, you know, you have been given so much as Christians today. Um, the Bible in your own language, um, particularly, and even the Bible, like people have recorded themselves reading the Bible so that you can just do what we just did. Like, what if you took 20 minutes a day and, you know, many of you have 20-minute commutes or whatever it is. Um, you could just listen to First John, right? And then you could turn around, drive home, and listen to First John again on the way home. Like, I just, I just wonder, like, what would that do to us if we just listened to big chunks of the Bible like that over and over again? Um, even if you just chose one book and listened to it again and again for a week or two or a month. or you know, it, 
the word of God, I think even as James is saying, it changes us, it shapes us, it transforms us, and it's powerful in that way. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your son. Thankful for First John. Bless us as we continue to study it together. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.